The views, opinions, and advice expressed in this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of Patterson Media or the sponsors of this program. Breathe out. Wellness is... When we're in a perpetual state of stress, what we know is that the brain rewires. I wanted to get better for myself and for my kids. <laughs> the bottom line is that people with anxiety, they can't shut off their thoughts. Who made a positive difference in your day-to-day? It makes me think back to my day. Who did I talk to? Who did I have an experience with? Welcome to Choosing Wellness, your one-stop shop for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being, so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. Choosing Wellness is powered by Pattison Media. In this series, we'll share a health journey and explore the trends and talk to the experts that will help you live your best life, and we'll have fun doing it. In this episode, drinking that is better for your health. We explore anxiety, discover a mineral deficiency that can improve health. Mudita is our focus in Life Unlimited and a being real story on overcoming addiction. I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. Health Tags Social media is part of our daily life. And let's face it. There's a lot of noise out there. We use hashtags to help find content related to specific topics. So we've created health tags. Like hashtags, we explore what's trending in the world of wellness. For those of you who may be thinking, is my drinking affecting others? Should I finally give it up or at least cut back? We found a story that might hit close to home. This person that I admired so much during the day would kind of turn into this more lethargic version of herself at night, and I would help pick up the glass of wine, turn off the TV, blow out the candles, make sure she got to bed, put myself to bed, that kind of thing. Fiona Hefer was 10 years old. She was taking care of her mom on those hard nights. Now fast forward almost two decades, and Fiona, her sister, and her mom started Sensorium, a new kind of drink company. Welcome, Fiona. Thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk to new people and to share the story of Sensorium. Well, your story is inspirational. And before we dive into the business story, let's talk about this relationship that your mom had with alcohol. And we're going to start with what your perspective is on not normalizing alcohol and drinking alcohol in our society. So there's this culture around moms and wine. For example, the memes, funny stories, videos. Wine gets better with age. I get better with wine. (laughs) Okay, guilty. You girls know that's true. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Do you see this as society normalizing drinking? Yeah, I mean, I have a very personal relationship with mommy wine culture. And little do people know that this business also was the catalyst to transform my relationship with my mom. 
and my mom's relationship with me. She loved her wine. She was that very hardworking 90s mom breadwinner that just rewarded herself at the end of the day with a cold bottle of Chardonnay. And I can hear the bottle popping and the glugging into a big glass and the finishing of the glass and the finishing of the bottle. I can hear it all. I can see it all. I can feel it all. And what I noticed as a child was my mom went from this hardworking, busy, let's say stressed out kind of working mom. And I was part of that. I was the part of the cause of that. She had to run me around, pick me up, drop me off, earn enough money to pay for our school fees and our uniforms and our books and everything. And at the end of the day, she would just fall onto the couch and kind of drink the night away a little bit, drink the stress away, use alcohol to relax and to disassociate a little bit from the stress of the day. But children are naturally egoic. Children naturally make things about themselves. And so a message that I took from that was, I'm a lot and I'm too much for her and she needs to drink to escape how hard it is to be my mom. And so this person that I admired so much during the day would kind of turn into this more lethargic version of herself at night. I'm sure this is painting an all too familiar picture, but how did this all affect you? I would help pick up the glass of wine, turn off the TV, blow out the candles, make sure she got to bed, you know, put myself to bed, that kind of thing. And not from a super young age, but you know, I was probably 10 years old, 11 years old. And it really created this story in my mind that she needed to escape motherhood. So as an adult, it was this year, we had a really open and hard conversation about what that felt like for me and how Absolutely, I knew in my logical mind that's not what she was doing, but in the heart of it all, that's kind of what it felt like. And she was so surprised to hear this, but also so empathetic and compassionate to me feeling that way. And with this type of lifestyle all over social media, not showing the effect on kids, but moms with the need for wine to unwind, that must be hard for you to watch. If I take my own experience and I translate it and look around and look at other moms, holding up the glass of wine to the camera on Instagram while you see the two young kids in the background. Hi, I'm Hannah, your friendly neighborhood wine mom. And if you're anything like me, you believe that a glass of wine at 8 p.m. makes you a better mom. So pour yourself a glass and let's talk about stuff. I feel like I'm those kids sometimes, you know, I feel like what is it like to see your mom reaching out to this community online, showing them that I'm drinking, you know, and you see mommy kind of going, mommy needs her wine. And Mommy needs to relax. What message is that sending to our kids? I do think we need to talk about it more because I'm a mom myself and I know how stressful it is. <laughs> I'm a single mom. I get it. I really, really get it. And I'm sure the last thing we all want to do is do anything to make our children feel like we don't love them or care about them or want to be their mother. And we're not trying to make moms who enjoy wine feel bad. There is a balance. But I will add that according to the Center for Disease Control, nearly half of all adult women reported drinking alcohol in the past 30 days. Approximately 13% of adult women report binge drinking. And among them, 25% do so at least weekly on average. And 25% consume at least six drinks during a binge drinking occasion. Fiona, do you think we can find ways to unwind without alcohol? Can we do it a different way that does 
further inspire us and our children or deepen ourselves, connect deeper to ourselves because alcohol disconnects us. There's something we can do to connect deeper to show them as an example of I love you and I love myself and I'm going to make sure you're taken care of so that I can also take care of myself as well and vice versa. I just think there's other ways that we can do it and I hope to be part of that conversation. And a few years ago, your mom realized she needed to change her life. So she gave up alcohol. And that's when Sansorium was born. So how did you get the idea for a creative, non-alcoholic drink option? She just decided overnight, I'm not going to drink alcohol anymore. But really felt the absence of that ritual in the evening. So she turned to the wine and the beer and the spirits that were in the liquor stores that were alcohol-free. And after a year of both her and I drinking that, I was doing it to support her. We were like, there's got to be something better in the world. And you began the research and then found there was a real void and a huge opportunity here in Canada. We found that other countries were just doing so well in this space and had tons of innovation and tons of brand development. And as an industry, the consumers were really driving the space like the UK and South Africa and Australia, having these huge market, 300, 400, 500 million dollar markets, and this is two years ago. We thought, why doesn't Canada have this? And if they don't, should we start it? So that was the beginning of 2021. And by September, we had launched our import business. And now we just opened up to the US. So we are North American wide marketplace. That's amazing. Thank you. Being in this space has been life-changing. And as you mentioned, it did start with your mom choosing wellness over alcohol. Thanks for your raw honesty, Fiona, for all you're doing to educate and support others. And congrats on an incredible business venture. And new guidelines suggest abstaining could be a good habit year-round, that no amount is safe, and that any more than two drinks a week raises the risk. The research says the fact that alcohol is a carcinogen is often unknown or overlooked, but it's linked to 7,000 cancer deaths in Canada every year. A new report is challenging the government in Canada. The Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, the CCSA, wants to see cancer warning labels on alcohol. Now, experts say most Canadians don't know the risks that come with consuming even moderate amounts. The latest catalyst is Canada's new guidance on alcohol and health, which updates the 2011 low-risk drinking guidelines. The previous guidance is over a decade old and recommended no more than 15 drinks for men and 10 drinks for women per week to reduce long-term health risks. The CCSA says the new advice reflects thousands of studies in the last decade that link even small amounts of alcohol to several types of cancer. The new recommendations lay out a continuum of risk. Three to six drinks a week increases the risk of developing certain cancers, including colorectal and breast cancer. And more than seven drinks a week also increases your risk of heart disease and stroke. The danger goes up with every additional drink. According to the report, many Canadians are already in risky drinking territory, with 17% of Canadians consuming three to six drinks a week, while 40% drink more than six drinks a week. 
Based on its findings, the CCSA is calling for health warning labels that include the cancer risk on alcohol containers and labels that inform people of how many standard drinks are in every container. Now, to share in the discussion about your relationship with alcohol, tag us using hashtag health tag. Being real. Karen Habashi was a practicing dentist for seven years, and now Karen has found her path and passion as a freelance writer. But it was a process she had to go through in order to change her life. This is Karen's story. This is Being Real. My anxiety started during the time I was pregnant with my daughter, my firstborn. And then I suffered from postpartum anxiety. Back then I was living in Egypt, so there wasn't much talk about postpartum depression or anxiety, let alone any talk about mental health for women. It's a very highly stigmatized subject. And my anxiety also was more apparent, especially during the time I was working as a dentist. Years passed and I moved to Canada and I have twins and then I fell into postpartum depression and anxiety again and the way I was coping with it was by using alcohol. I wasn't drinking excessively like becoming drunk but I was drinking enough to keep me calmer. And, you know, with mom and wine culture being very much acceptable, I never felt that I'm doing something that is wrong. I told myself I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink a lot. After I started dealing with real health issues, I faced myself and I wanted to get better for myself and for my kids. I was at the hospital at that time and there was by coincidence or whatever, like the universe was working. God was guiding me. There was an AA meeting that day and I attended it. And then I was doing the 12 steps and I actually stopped drinking alcohol. By the time I was sober completely, my anxiety was amplified because there was no more masking of it. And my anxiety got so bad that some days I couldn't even leave the house. I wasn't eating enough. I was losing weight. I wasn't sleeping well. I still went to therapy, but one of the misconceptions that I understood later on is that not every therapist is good for you. Sometimes you have to go through maybe two, three therapists until you can find the person who understands you. For me, as someone who's BIPOC and an immigrant, it was hard for me to find anyone who could just relate to my upbringing, my culture, my community, and also some of the traumas I went through from a medical aspect and the health issues I went through. I met with an amazing therapist and also I went with an amazing counselor and I worked with two of them. I did multiple types of therapy, talk therapy, I took medication, I did EMDR 
And I also got lots of self-help books because one of the things I think helped me is being honest to myself, knowing that I have an issue, I have trauma, I have to help myself first before I can help anyone else. And with the combination of everything, you know, medication, therapy, exercising, wanting to become better, understanding everything that the roots of my anxiety, changing my mindset and understanding anxiety more in depth. I have anxiety and PTSD, by the way. And I think this combination helped me realize that mental health issues are not one size fits all. Someone can have anxiety, but they have different symptoms or treatments than the other person next to them. And unfortunately, until recently, even in my community and my culture, Talking openly about your mental health issues is still very much a taboo or there's a huge stigma surrounding it, especially when you're a woman and a mom because you're usually deemed quote-unquote crazy, you won't be a very good mother, you're not a fit parent and so much more. I can still see some of it in the Western world, unfortunately. And I think there is a lot of progress because there's more people shedding a light about their mental issues, whether it's celebrities, whether it's politicians, whether it's everyday people. But the more the conversation is out there, the more people can relate to it, the more they can open up to it. And it's a path of healing. I suffer from PTSD. I've never told anyone that before. So here we are. I had to stop. I had everything. And I was absolutely broken inside. It gets better, <laughs> as simple as it sounds. Me being able to write about it, it was also very therapeutic for me. I wrote many articles to describe and talk about the mental health issues I've been dealing with as a woman, as a mother, and how it affected many aspects of my life. I hope that one day I can be able to share it with more and more people and have a bigger platform because there are lots of people in my community and in my culture, they're still very much unaware or afraid of the many aspects of therapy that's available. That's why coming from someone who come from this very conservative culture to speak about it, to write about it, it doesn't only help people from my culture, but it also helped others from the BIPOC community to feel listened to or heard. And it's important for me because it also helps me. It heals me. When I open up my vulnerabilities to others, it's something that also helps me heal because a huge part of my anxiety stemmed from perfectionism and the need for control and I was trying so much to control everything to be perfect it made me more anxious so the moment I wrote my first article the moment I put everything out there and said hey I'm not perfect I want to share my vulnerability the moment I knew I'm on the right path to healing and there's still a long way I still suffer some days and it's understandable but I don't feel guilt or shame like I used to. I just know I'm having a rough day. I take it easy. I speak to a family member, my husband, my friends, and tell them, oh, I'm having such a terrible day. I had a panic attack yesterday or my anxiety was really bad yesterday. And I don't need to hide anymore. 
And I think it's very important that we open the conversation. We let people understand what is anxiety, how can stress contribute to it, how can alcohol exaggerate it, how not sleeping well, not eating well, not exercising, all of those affect your anxiety. Not only that, but there's also lots of deep issues coming from generational trauma, childhood trauma, PTSD, medical issues, chronic illness. Sometimes there are certain things that you can easily change and you can see the benefits. And other times, you need to be more patient to see the end results. And that's the only thing I always advise people or my friends when they start therapy, that the change won't be instantly. You need to be patient. You need to put in the work. You need to consider this as hard work and you're going to reap the results sooner or later. But you have to be patient with yourself and your therapist. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen, for being real for opening up and sharing your story on your relationship with alcohol. How to Choose Wellness It's likely not a surprise to hear, according to the Center for Disease Control, that in 2022, just over 35% of people in America said they were dealing with some level of anxiety. The Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Canada reported a 19% increase from a year ago, with a total of 25.1% of survey participants reporting feeling moderate to severe anxiety. Claire Masonov is a registered clinical counsellor and director at Alpine Clinic Limited in Vancouver, British Columbia. Welcome, Claire. Great to be here. Thank you. So glad to have you here. Now, how would you describe anxiety? The bottom line is that people with anxiety, they often feel like their mind is on all the time. They can't shut off their thoughts. They've got racing thoughts, obsessive thoughts. They can't sleep. They worry about a lot of things. And even though their life is often what they want it to be, they've got enough money, they've got a job, they've got kids that are doing well, they're still constantly worrying about the future and if everything's okay and if they're doing enough, and they feel afraid. And you brought up a good point there when you talked about having a good life, everything seems great, and you know, we've got a good family and a good house and a good job, and we're thinking to ourselves, this can't be anxiety. Surely there's some situations where it makes sense. I've lost my job. I don't know where I'm going to move and all of that. But for the most part, there's a sense of confusion as to why do I feel this way? And then with that, unfortunately, there's a sense of judgment What's wrong with me that I actually feel this way when I have everything right in my life? Why do we have anxiety? We have to look at what is the root of it. And the root of it are what I call mistaken, negative thoughts and stories and beliefs that we carry deep in our minds and deep in our subconscious minds that for the most part we're not even aware of. These are fearful thoughts. 
what if something bad happens? What if I fail? What if I don't do a good enough job? What if I get abandoned? What if I get humiliated? What if I get hurt? What if I get rejected? And these thoughts are going on at a level in my our minds that we're not even aware of. And we have to connect with that first and foremost, bring them up to consciousness, and then transform them. And would you say people will often just try to bury those feelings and try to ignore them and then that can compound everything that's going on inside? Well, I think there's two sides to that. On the one hand, I think that a lot of these feelings started such a long time ago that a lot of people don't even know how they got there and why they got there and that they're even there. This unawareness that this is even going on in the background of our mind. And then secondly, sometimes these feelings are going to try to come up because they want to be heard and seen and they want to be resolved. And Many people don't have the capacity or the resourcefulness to actually deal with that. So they have to work really hard at trying to push these feelings down yet again. So I'm going to drink, I'm going to vape, I'm going to eat too much, I'm going to work too much. I'm going to do what it takes to make sure that I don't feel the shame, the fear, the terror, the guilt the humiliation that might actually start surfacing those feelings that are connected to those thoughts. And if we're constantly trying to push those emotions down to set them off to the side and try to forget about them, I mean, that's hard to do. But if that's what we're doing, then how do we actually deal with our anxiety? So that's the thing is that anxiety is just a symptom of trying to push away those feelings. Anxiety and depression is just the result of you working so hard and spending all that energy to try to put all that stuff underground. So it doesn't matter what kind of anxiety disorder you have. At the end of the day, it's all the same. Different scenarios, but it's all the same. We have to look at what's in our minds and we have to clean out what's in our minds. I love that. Clean out what's in our minds. I'm going to ask kind of a funny question in the sense of, is there a cure for anxiety or is this something that we will always live with? Oh, I'm so happy you asked that question. There is absolutely a cure for anxiety and depression. I'm a living example of this. Now, it didn't come overnight, and there's a lot of things that I've done, and that's what I'm here to share with my clients, and that's what counselors are here to share, because counselors in general heal from anxiety because they try all the things that they try on to their clients, right? We go through our own therapy and try all this, and it works. That's why we're passionate about the work, and that's why we want to help other people because we know there's a way through this, but people are so busy today that they think I don't have time to take care of my mental health I got to do this job I got to earn money and I'm thinking is there anything more important in your life to take care of your mental health given that your capacity to enjoy your life is based on that given that your capacity to have harmonious relationship is based on that to be successful is based on that this is the most important work you'll do. So your anxiety is actually a gift because it's telling you that what you're doing right now is not working for you. You have to listen.
And most people don't want to listen. They see this as a nuisance rather than seeing this as a gift. Your personal journey, Claire, enables you to really connect and help people in such a deep way. And you worked hard at all this, and now you're sharing that expertise with others. But I want to go back to that counseling piece, because I hear so often from people, counseling just doesn't work for me. And so do I. Here's my take on it. I think there's three parts to finding the right counselor that can help you. One is, there's no doubt you have to have a good match. You have to feel good with the person you're connecting with. You have to have a level of respect for them and a confidence in them and a confidence that they can handle you and what you're presenting. You have to jive. And there's different strokes for different folks. And counselors have their personalities too. So you have to find a right match, number one. Number two, you have to find a therapist that is competent and that has a lot of interventions, strategies, techniques that can help you go below the surface of your conscious awareness. Talk therapy is very important, don't get me wrong, but it ain't gonna get to your subconscious mind. And then finally, I think the third piece is that a lot of times clients come to therapy with unrealistic expectations. You know, they've had panic attacks for 15 years and I've come to therapy for two sessions and nothing's changed. So number one, there's unrealistic expectations. And two, you have to do your own work in between sessions. So when I say to clients, How do you feel after the last session? And they say, oh, yeah, what did we talk about again? I completely forgot about what that was all about. Then they're not going to make progress. They have to take notes. They have to record the sessions. They have to think about what's come up. So it's a process between you and me that we have to work on this together because we're therapists. We're not magicians, right? So well put. And I've often compared it to you've injured yourself and you go to a physiotherapist. You don't just go once or twice. And in between those visits, you're doing all the exercises that that physiotherapist gave to you, or you're never going to get better. Same thing. Exactly the same thing. You've been working in this field for like 35 years. So how do you help people? And I know it's hard to generalize, but what are some of the key things that you introduce to people that you can share today? Oh my gosh, that's a whole other hour. The first thing is I get to hear people's story first and foremost, right? Everybody's got to tell their story and we don't have a blanket approach that we apply to everybody. So first I need to hear your story and then we make goals. What do you want? What's your goal in coming here? Because maybe you smoke and I think you should stop smoking, but you have no intention of stopping to smoke. So you've got to tell me what you want to get out of this process. And when I hear your story and I hear what your goal are, then we can make a plan. And here's what I think the plan's going to be. Now, I'm always willing to drop my plan if things change. But again, this is important as a counselor, you have to have a plan. And my plan has a lot of different strategies that I've gathered over the 35 years. So it depends on you and what you're presenting with. Claire, thank you so much for your time today and your insight and your perspective. It was a real pleasure speaking with you and I'm confident that we will connect again. Yes, I'm really glad we were able to cover all that stuff. Life Unlocked. Found in foods like pumpkin seeds and a key mineral for our health, 
let's unlock why we need magnesium. Magnesium is probably our most deficient mineral. It's absolutely vital for keeping you chilled out and relaxed. <sighs> Actually, muscles, when they relax, they need magnesium. But calcium is involved in their contraction. So if you like magnesium, which is in greens particularly, and nuts and seeds, then what happens is you get more muscle cramps or spasms or twitches. So you always need to have a balance of calcium and magnesium. That was health expert Patrick Holfer, one of thousands of experts supporting the need for more magnesium. Over a third of adult Canadians aren't getting adequate intakes of magnesium through their diets. And in fact, magnesium is among the four nutrients that have the highest inadequate intake among the population. And that's according to the latest Stats Canada numbers. Over time, low magnesium can weaken your bones, give you bad headaches, make you feel nervous, and even hurt your heart. It can also lead to low levels of other important minerals like calcium and potassium in the body. Getting enough magnesium can help prevent or treat chronic diseases, including Alzheimer's, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and migraines. And although research is still being done, there has been a link to the potential of magnesium levels playing a role in mood disorders, including depression and anxiety. Magnesium also relaxes the mind. So if you're very stressed out and you can't relax and chill and go to sleep, having some extra magnesium will help. To get more into your diet, eat more green vegetables. Egg yolks, soybeans, brown rice, and cashews. These foods all contain magnesium. Depending on your needs and overall health, your daily dose of magnesium will vary. Too much magnesium can be unpleasant. So check with your doctor before adding supplements to your diet. Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. Well, we're back with one of my favorite topics here on Choosing Wellness, and that's Your Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. And you're a rewired nurse. I'm going to keep using that because I love it. You're still helping people, but not as an actual nurse within the medical profession. I don't have to wear a uniform. <laughs> that's right. There you go. <laughs> and an amazing motivational speaker doing a radio show called Your Life Unlimited. I just love this. It's just such a breath of fresh air to talk to you and to hear your story. So welcome back. Yay. You know what? This is my favorite topic. So thanks for asking. Now you threw something out to me and it was the word mudita, which I had never heard before. And I thought I'm not going to look it up because I love a bit of a surprise and to unfold it. So what does mudita mean? Okay. Well, we're going to play a little game, Linda. I'm going to give you three choices. Mudita could be an African style of yoga. Mudita could be finding joy in other people's joy. Or mudita could be a Mexican dish. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm a yogi, and I've never heard of mudita (laughs) as a form of yoga, so I'm going to eliminate that one. And because of what you do and what you talk about, I think I'm going to have to go with B. It is B. Ten points for you. It's actually (laughs) a Sanskrit word. Oh, so I should have known that. Oh, should you have? Yeah, well, yogi. (laughs) Yeah. I find most people do not know this word. It's spelled M-U-D-I-T-A, mudita. And it comes from the Sanskrit language. And in essence, it means finding joy in other people's joy. 
which is an interesting concept. I don't think we have a word in English that is similar to that. Can you think of one? No. Yeah. No. I think we should. I think so too. Yeah. It's kind of like the opposite of jealousy. So instead, you know, you see somebody, something good's happening to someone, you feel like, oh, envious, jealous of that. That's one feeling. But the opposite of that is you see your friend doing something amazing and you're just like, I am so happy for you, like genuinely excited for you. I am feeling your joy. And then the great thing about practicing Mudita is that you get to have double the joy. So you get to have joy when something joyful for you, but then you get to experience a, a level of that joy in someone else's happiness. And it's a double free bonus. So how do we change so that we can feel joy ourselves and get, then have that joy and happiness for someone else who's experienced something great? You can't fix or change or adapt anything if you don't kind of understand what's going on. So to notice when you have that feeling of envy or jealousy, that's interesting. Hmm. I wonder why I feel that way. Maybe you've been giving, 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 giving. You haven't had a break in a while. So maybe that information that you got from that feeling of jealousy or envy, you've probably felt that way because there's something in that that you would like. Maybe I just need to go for a walk. Maybe I need a hot shower. Maybe I need to go get my nails done. Or maybe I just need a little something, you know, a boy's trip. I need a little something for me. So how do we ensure that we can move into that mudita way of finding joy and happiness in others' joy? The reason I called it practicing mudita, if you're practicing yoga and you're practicing other things, it's not like all of a sudden, okay, I'm just going to be super joyful for everybody. No, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you're happier than others and whatever. But there are some simple things I think that we can do. So I recognize, hey, this would make me happier if I could do this. This would make my friendships better, my relationships stronger. So I'm going to start practicing this. So social media gives us ample, ample opportunities to practice this. <laughs> so for example, <laughs> my friend posted a picture of her new grandson. That's nice, right? So normally I would like click like or click love and that's that. But I'm like, no, like I'm practicing Mudita. So I just, I clicked on the picture of the baby and it was like the most beautiful little baby. And I thought to myself, I wonder like how she feels having this first little grandchild. Like it must feel amazing for her. And I kind of try to get myself into how that would feel. And then I sent her like a private message. So I clicked love and whatever too, but I sent her a private message just saying, that baby is to die for. He is so darling. I am just imagining how thrilled you are with this. And I'm just sending you so much love and congratulations. I hope you enjoy every minute, period. So Contrast that with, I saw the picture of the baby, I clicked like, I moved on. Or I spent a minute out of my life noticing, imagining, writing, and sending her this. And then imagine her getting my note when somebody really noticed what was happening to her. So I think that gave our friendship an opportunity to go like, oh, just a little notch higher than one more like in the 52 likes that she had already on that picture. And then you keep doing that and you're like, oh, this feels great. So one of the things I've been doing this year, and we have our color-coded calendars, at the end of every day, mine is in green, and it says, who made a positive difference in your day today? And so, you know, it makes me think back to my day. Who did I talk to? Who did I have an experience with? Sometimes there's nobody. I had a quiet day. 
I would say 95% of the time, there is somebody that made me smile, that made me happy, that made my day just a little bit easier. And I just send them a note. It makes me feel better and they're very grateful for it as well. Would you say that Mudita is something like a prerequisite for compassion and loving and kindness that can eventually lead to that word that we all hear, your enlightenment. So I'm going to plant that one for you to kind of digest and unfold for us. So let's first just talk about that compassion and loving kindness that you can get if you are living a Mudita kind of life. I don't think you could practice Mudita without the byproduct of that you're being more loving and more kind and more compassionate. And I don't know whether you know or not, but the title of my first book is When Enlightening Strikes. And so I don't profess to be a guru on enlightenment in any way, shape or form, but I kind of think of it kind of like those aha moments, but enlightening, when enlightening happens, it makes me want to do something different after. It's like, oh, I practiced this mudita. I feel different after. I feel better. I feel happier. I feel kinder. I feel able to do better in the world. So if you want to call that enlightenment, I don't know. But I like when enlightening strikes, it makes me go, oh, I'm going to pay attention to that. You've given us lots to think about. Thanks. And also, you know, the tools and what we need to do to make these wonderful changes in our lives and and having that to live and be a better person. And and isn't that what we're all trying to do? We choose to live, you know, a healthy, really good life overall. So I don't want to quite leave it on that. I always still like to ask before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to add before we say goodbye? I think practicing mudita, finding joy in other people's joy is definitely one more way to live your life unlimited. Thank you. Good, good, good. Meditation moment. We've all had those moments of anxiety or nervousness. It may be a job interview, preparing for a test, or just in a social setting. Studies show breathing exercises can ease these symptoms and bring your breathing and body back to a more relaxed state and help ease anxiety. And considering we breathe about 20,000 times a day without conscious thought, makes you think, what if we used our breath in a mindful way? For a meditation moment, we tap into the art of breathing with meditation and mindfulness expert Anthony Berlingeri from Nature of Mindfulness. After Anthony developed and taught mindfulness programs for hundreds of schools, hospitals, and large companies, he was inspired to create a platform to share the life-changing practice of mindfulness online. Today, he focuses on breath. The reason why breath is so important is because it's actually regulating the nervous system. It's sort of the gateway that tells our nervous system whether we're stressed or whether we're relaxed. And so if we can just be mindful of our breathing, it has a very calming effect. When somebody's in a perpetual state of stress, the brain literally rewires to bring that same state of mind to everything we're doing. And so this is why meditation is such an important practice, because it really clears the slate. And it really allows you to take that same presence that you're cultivating and to take that same state of mind, which is a relaxed state, and apply it to whatever else you're working through in your life. And so it's sort of something you can take and apply to anything and everything. Any sort of breathing exercise is to sort of induce that state within your breathing, which then has a chain reaction and puts you into a calm state. And so slow, deep breathing is where it's at. We can introduce a really simple count, which is box breathing. So inhaling for a count of four, if that works for you, 
holding for a count of four, exhaling for a count of four, holding for a count of four. When you're about to begin any sort of breathing exercise or meditation in general, just to be comfortable, that would be the first thing, just taking a moment to position yourself, making sure that you can sit tall and that you can also feel relaxed. And so that might just mean putting a pillow behind your back and sitting in a chair or setting yourself up however works for you. It always helps when we close the eyes. And so I'll just do this and I'll go through it at the same time. So closing the eyes, finding stillness within your body. Just take a moment. Start to notice the rise of the belly every time the breath comes in. And noticing the belly draw inwards every time the breath leaves. Just simply notice the breath when it comes and goes, but try not to change or force your breath. Now we'll begin with box breathing. And so first I want you to exhale slowly through your nose to empty. And once you're all the way empty, pause, hold your breath. And let's begin with a count of four. So inhale really slowly through the nose for four. Three, two, one. Hold your breath for four. Three, two, one. Exhaling slowly through the nose. Four, three, two, one. Holding the breath for four. Three, two, one. Inhaling slowly through the nose. Four, three. Slowing down the breath. Two, one holding for four three two one exhale slowly through the nose four three slow down the exhale two one and hold for four three two one and so you would just continue with that count for anywhere from one to three minutes is a good amount of time to start with and that would be box breathing. Life is challenging, and choosing wellness in our daily lives may seem like adding to the already long to-do list, but together, we can make it easier. On the next Choosing Wellness, we dive into why self-care is not selfish. We chat about new beginnings and a real-life story about hope and what life means with Life Unlimited's Stephanie Staples. I'm Linda Freeman. Let's connect again soon as together we take the journey of choosing wellness. You've been listening to Choosing Wellness, an initiative powered by Patterson Media, designed to inspire and motivate a healthy life. For more information on this program, go to pattersonmedia.com and everythinglifestyle.ca. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.